Howdy! It's once again time to break down the best movies of the year. Joining me for the third year in a row is Cody Giefer, and we are also joined by our mutual friend Aaron Heckethorn this year. This is all a little later than usual because of COVID delaying the Oscar season, but it was still fun to discuss our favorites of the year and see how they compared. And I did try to edit around a little bit to avoid spoiling movies that are coming up higher on someone else's list, so if it seems like we're bringing up something out of order or skipping some things... That's why. Enjoy the show. Okay, let's let's uh let's start by just kind of talking about the 2020 movie year in general and how your movie watching was different from normal years. I know I for one obviously hadn't been to the movie theater for like 14 months until I saw The Father a little bit ago. What about what about you two as far as movies in the theater or catching up with movies in general? And just how was 2020 from a viewer standpoint for you all? Yeah, I don't think I've gone to the theater since uh, December, maybe January of, you know, like right. 2019, 2020, which I've enjoyed because I don't really like going to the theater that much. I'd much <laughs> rather just sit and watch it at home and be able to have my diet Pepsi without paying five dollars for it. <laughs> That's a good call. And being and being able to pause and go to the bathroom. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Aaron. Yeah. So I actually haven't seen a movie in the theater also probably since December of 2019. And our COVID restrictions here are probably much more strict than I'm assuming either of yours. So I think movie theaters like just reopened in my county like a couple of weeks ago. So okay. Yeah, I haven't even had the option. I think you could do uh, like drive-in theaters, or which I have no interest in seeing a movie <laughs> in a theater like that. The sound quality is always bad. It's right. kind of hard to see. So I have no interest in that. But yeah, I actually like watching movies from home. Sometimes it doesn't really like work with my schedule or whatever. It's just more convenient. So I actually don't mind watching from home. It was nice because a lot of these movies were released to Amazon or you know what I mean, available right. to purchase for at-home viewing. Yeah, which has been so nice. Yeah. I'm kind of the same way, but I almost feel bad about it. Like, I feel like there's this movie purist thing that you want to see the new releases in the theater, uh, not even about the crowd, just kind of like the big screen. The fact that you can't pause it makes it like, it's like more serious. It's like it's like the varsity version or the pro version of movie watching versus <laughs> at, at home where you can just kind of, oh, okay, I'll leave now or stop this one. I'll finish it tomorrow. And yeah, it's just uh, maybe too casual, but I, I do enjoy it too. I'm, I won't kid myself, I guess. Because I was, I was, people get so hung up on the size of the screen. I always thought that didn't really matter because the bigger the screen is, you just have to sit farther and farther away from it. So it's really about the same you know, amount of vision. Not that I yes. want to just tape a yeah. iPhone in my face and count that as like IMAX, but <laughs> so the other the other question that's kind of come up, and Cody and I have talked about this a little bit, is what even counts as a movie anymore when you look at the various platforms? You know, what is stuff eligible by being released in theaters, documentaries? Uh, there's you know the Hamilton situation where does that even count as a movie? So what are your guys' thoughts on what even what no. even counts as a movie? <laughs> Hamilton. <Okay. laughs> Hamilton shouldn't count. I don't know why it counted at the Golden Globes. That was stupid. But yeah, I don't know. I think as theaters start to die away, which I think is what's going to happen. You're right. Like, because right now it has to have a certain runtime in theaters to be counted for an Oscar, right? Right. Yeah. So what are we going to do in the future going forward if, you know, theaters are not that big of a thing? 
No, right. And I was just talking to someone yesterday about the whole idea. Well, 20, 30 years ago, there was HBO TV movies all the time. They were basically the same as how Netflix does a movie now, but no one ever thought to make those eligible for the Oscars. But now it's like a given that a Netflix movie is eligible for the Oscars. And and some, you know, yeah. people like Spielberg, you know, were kind of against that pre-COVID and then COVID hits. And it's kind of like, oh, well, maybe we kind of do have to count those movies going forward. And a movie is just any story that's past the minimum runtime and tells us and tells a narrative in a non uh, documentary way. Of course, then you get into the whole nomad lad thing where you have a lot of non-professional actors and to what extent was that actually documentary footage you could argue, but we'll get to that. I'm sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm kind of the same mind on Hamilton. I decided not to count it, but if I did count it, I almost kind of feel like it would have been my favorite movie of the year. Um, I don't know if you guys both got a chance to see it, but I did love Hamilton and I just, I don't count it either, but it might've been my favorite of anything on my list today. Do you guys see it? I have not. I have not oh. seen it. I know I should and I need to, but I just haven't got around to it yet. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I mean, oh, I know the musical. Okay. <laughs> I love I love the musical, but I don't have a Disney Plus account. So. Oh, gotcha. But you have seen the musical, yeah. Aaron? Like in person? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, yeah, you, 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 yeah. you win that, that game, I guess, then. <laughs> yes. where'd, you, where'd you see it? Where'd you see it? <laughs> San Francisco, yeah. Ah, the advantages yeah. of being in California, I guess, huh? Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's awesome. It was supposed to be here this year, but um, COVID killed that. Was it supposed to be? Oh, no, it's actually in Kansas City, I think, this fall. Is it? I, yeah, I think Kansas City's getting it this fall. But again, it's one of those things where, like, the nosebleed seats are, like, you know, three or $400. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, yeah. it's like, ah, like, I understand, like, live theater has a premium associated with it for a reason. But I'd almost rather, I don't know. <laughs> it's just too expensive. I can't justify it. <laughs> okay, so I think we're going to start with uh, some honorable mentions first. And again, what we will do going forward here is if uh, if a movie comes up and you have it higher on your list, just kind of chime in and we'll always talk about it when it comes up the final time. And uh, so, Cody, kick us off with some honorable mentions here that didn't quite make your top 10. Yeah, so two of them are documentaries and they're only on honorable mention because I refuse to put a documentary in my top five or top 10. So one's called Boys State. And do you guys know what like Boy State is? I've heard of it. And is that like the association for like, like a leadership thing for young guys? Yeah, they basically like go. Yeah, it's like in each state has one and they go and they run basically like campaigns and kind of make it like you would like there's a governor of each. There's two different groups. So there's like a governor of each and then they or they run for governor and different things like that. And so it was a documentary about the one down in Texas. It was very well done. The kids took it way too these are all high school kids and like how serious they took this was also just hilarious <laughs> like they're just nerding out about it in a way that's almost kind of awkward yeah. yes yeah yeah and i mean they're high schoolers they're already awkward <laughs> and so yeah so that was really good and then my other honorable mention is called miss americana um it's a taylor <laughs> swift documentary it before you shake your head at me aaron it's a 91 <laughs> on rotten tomatoes audience and critics no yeah, yeah. He's, he's actually, just, yeah. it yeah. is he's actually convinced me i need to watch it, it is yeah. very well done yeah it gives gives you a lot of information about her like granted i already knew it all <laughs> there she does like go into different things some stuff i didn't know like her eating disorder she does talk about that um and she talks about the press and how she just felt hounded by everything and it is incredibly well done i do highly recommend it even if you don't like taylor switch as much as me which is impossible but aaron any honorable mentions that did just kind of miss the cut yeah, so I have actually another documentary, and it's called Collective. And so Collective was about a fire in a Romanian nightclub where like 64 people died, and 
the documentary actually follows like a sports, local sports newspaper as they kind of learn what happened, what went wrong. So you kind of, there's no interviews or talking heads. It's a really interesting format, but you kind of like figure out what went wrong and all of the corruption throughout both the government and the healthcare system, like as a viewer alongside the subjects of the, the documentary. It's very interesting. Also, the subject matter is nuts. Like my husband and I had to like pause the movie several times and we were like, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. So I would really highly recommend it. It's very unique. And it was on my radar because it's actually up not for best documentary feature, but for best international feature for the Oscars. So it's it's Romanian, yes. it looks like. And uh, yes, so I, I did have it on my list to watch, but kind of like uh, Cody and I thank you as well. I, I just kind of chose not to include documentaries in my top 10, even though several critics do. But for me, it's just more of a I, I'm all about the narrative features, and I do like documentaries, but I, I feel like when I'm doing a top 10 list, I'm always looking at narratives. Uh, but yeah, I definitely need to... Where did you watch Collective? Where is that available? Yeah, so I think I paid for it on Amazon Prime. Okay. Or paid okay. for it through Amazon, right, yeah. Right, Well, I had a, just a few honorable mentions here as well. One I did kind of check out, and this one I'm going to guess you guys don't have, or maybe didn't get around to, but The Dig on Netflix... It's one is kind of more just right up my alley. It's based on a true story of a digging up a old like Anglo-Saxon burial mound in England, and it's like on private property. And Ray Fiennes plays the expert who's coming in to excavate it, and it's just kind of based on a true story of oh uh, Sutton Who I think maybe is the name. It's like a famous finding uh, right at the cusp of World War Two, I believe. Maybe actually World War One. I. I actually need to double check that, but. It's not great, great, but I just enjoyed it because of the history aspect uh, of it all there. Um, and then my other one, it was actually probably the last movie I watched in anticipation of putting a list together, was White Tiger, also on Netflix. And it was uh, it's kind of about an Indian servant, and I think it's based on a novel. It was more just, I think I appreciated the filmmaking maybe more than the story itself, but it's kind of a similar vibe to Parasite with the kind of haves and have-nots and the you know, remnants of the caste system in India. And it's uh, just, I thought it was just really good filmmaking. So I'd be really curious to see what that person does next. Okay, so I think we can roll into our top 10s here. And uh, I typically like to go last, but because my number 10 actually came up in honorable mentions uh, for Cody, I'll go ahead and uh, uh, kick it off. Of course, again, Aaron could have it higher, I guess. But I did have First Cow at number 10 on my top 10 list. Uh, so Cody, see it. Aaron, did you get a chance to see First Cow? It's a little more obscure. Oh, you did? Okay. Did. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. So I think I just appreciated the the pacing of it. It was, you know, very methodical. She's she doesn't feel like in a rush. It kinda has that more like 70s style filmmaking where they're just kind of taking their time. And I think what I just appreciated most was it changes your appreciation of things that you take for granted, specifically the milk that is so rare to have a milk cow in the Oregon frontier in the 1800s here. And it just, just, I don't know, just it changed my appreciation. The comparison I always thought of, uh, have you guys seen the pianist from like, you know, back at 0102 with Adrian Brody? Yeah. So in that one, he's like basically, you know, starving in the, in the ghettos there during world war two. And, a Nazi like smuggles him just like jelly and bread. And it just like changed my whole outlook of like things we just take for granted at the supermarket. And here's this guy's just like basically life-saving butter and jam. And I like he never looked at butter and, or, or bread and jam the same way after seeing the pianist. And so it was kind of <laughs> the same thing here in first cow with the milk and how sacred this milk was. And, and kind of important. It, I just feel like it was a very original movie 
and I liked the filmmaking, so I put it at number 10. Um, I will say, I just kind of liked, it did seem, well, I guess flat's not the right word, but it was very slow moving, which I'm not normally a fan of those kind of movies, because I want my attention to be grabbed. But this one, I feel like they did such a good job with it, with how they did it, that it was fine with me. And I, it's very rare that a slow movie like that, actually, that I enjoy like that. Yeah, it was also very beautifully shot. Yes. I mean, there's, yes. mm-hmm. it's beautiful, beautiful. And I, I really loved the, you know, the relationship to the, between the two main characters. I thought it was kind of a unique story to tell. And it was, yeah, I really liked it. Yeah, and the, and the framing device of starting in the modern times and the person stumbles upon the skeletons, but you don't know exactly how that's going to play out. And they did it in a way that I didn't think was too over, over uh, or too heavy handed. I, I thought it was handled very well. So, yeah, let's, uh, we'll let, we'll let Aaron as the new guest go last. So, uh, so you get, she'll get the last <laughs> number one. And okay. then, uh, so let's go to Cody's number 10. All right. So, this is my lowest rated movie that I probably saw all year. It's a 55 uh, critics on Rotten Tomato and a 5.9 on IMDb. Oh. It's not a good movie by any <laughs> means, but I enjoyed it so. so <laughs> I, you know, I, because I, okay, this my list is not like how well a movie was made. It's how much I enjoyed no, it. I, yeah, and I enjoyed this question, movie yeah. very, very much. Sure. I watched it. Yeah, I watched it once, and then I watched it the next day, and I listened to the soundtrack for a week oh, straight. Be, I think I know what it is. Um, the mo- <laughs> yeah, you do. It's the prom. Okay. I'm guessing Aaron doesn't have it higher. With... <laughs> I have never seen it. <laughs> okay, yeah, and, and nor have okay. I. So it's got... My mom loved it. Meryl Streep. Yeah, Meryl Streep, Nicole Kidman, James Corden. And they, they're these Broadway actresses and actors that are kind of down on their luck. Their last show didn't do very well. So they needed a political cause. And they found a school in, I think, Indiana, where a uh, lesbian wasn't allowed to bring her date to prom. So they, like, go down to this city and try and get them to change their minds. Carrie Washington is, like, the principal of the school. Um, so a lot of big names. So in the movie, like, Meryl Streep is just absolutely amazing. And it just annoys me how good she is at every single thing. Every movie she does. It's just it's insane. Like, this wasn't a good movie. And the acting wasn't that great, except for her. She's kind of like Wayne Gretzky or whatever, right? She's just so far above everybody else in her sport that it's just, like, it's, like, exhausting how <laughs> how good she is every time yeah yes so i just enjoyed the movie i had a fun time with it and that's fair my, like I said, my mom really enjoyed it too i just didn't have any interest in watching it based on the reviews <laughs> all right aaron's number 10 yeah so my number 10 was the trial of the chicago seven so basically it's just a courtroom drama movie about the anti-war protests at the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago and the subsequent trial of eight participants being charged by the federal government. And I really liked it. I love the writing. I'm a big Aaron Sorkin fan. You know, the dialogue was quick. You know what I mean? It was very witty at times. I really liked it. And I thought the release date of it was really timely given the events of the summer. Oh, right. I felt it, it felt very relevant and impactful. And I just really, I enjoyed it. it I always love after a movie like this, I always, you know, Google how well, like how true right, were, you right. know, things depicted. And it was honestly kind of uh, interesting because some of the most, you would think some of the elements you thought were for sure dramatized, like the corrupt drudge and, you know, the whole scene with Bobby Seal, you thought for sure were just like totally fabricated or totally dramatized, but they actually weren't. And so right. it was very interesting. I really enjoyed it. No, it's one when I first saw it, like I immediately earmarked it for, oh yeah, that'll that'll most likely end up in my top 10. And I, I really enjoyed it. Again, Sorkin is awesome and it is really well done. 
But as like a months passed and I started, you know, put, formulating my full list, I was just like, what was Charles Chicago, Chicago 7 about? <laughs> like it just, it didn't have any staying power in my mind. So the only reason I discounted it wasn't because of how much I originally enjoyed it, but just because of it didn't necessarily leave an impression months later. And I was like having to re- listen to podcasts about it to even remember the details of the plot. So it just kind of faded from memory. But I, I, but yeah, I did, I did enjoy it as well. Cody, did you see that one? Yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, and I, like all three of us, love Sorkin. And to me, like, it was probably my least favorite, least favorite Sorkin dialogue movie that I've seen. Like, it was still a Sorkin movie, and you could tell. Um, but I just didn't enjoy it as much as I have in stuff past of his. Um, but it was a solid movie. Yeah. I give it a three on my ratings. I don't think he's a particularly strong director. I think he's obviously one of the greatest writers of all time. But the directing, I yeah. thought, was just a little weak, too. But no, I, I enjoyed it, too. And it's kind of funny that it's the... Trial of Chicago 7, which, as Aaron said, is eight people because Bobby Seale was actually kind of separate from the seven. And and that's a whole thing. You could even do a whole movie just about his story, which actually there may have been in the past. Yeah. One other note. It's it was weirdly nominated, I think, for cinematography, which was so weird to me. I don't think it was a particularly (laughs) beautiful film or, you know, well shot (laughs) film. So I just thought that was kind of odd yeah, that was, yeah. i did not expect unless there's it. just many things that because again so they do all the categories other than say like uh best picture and stuff like that it's by the groups themselves so the nominees for best cinematography are nominated by only other cinematographers in the academy so maybe they were seeing things that we don't appreciate but i, I i'm with yeah. you that I, I don't i don't see where that came from but maybe there are some yeah. cool tricks that are more innovative than we've realized and uh i'd be curious to hear why that's yeah why that is kind of weird yeah i wonder if maybe part of that might be for like the parts where they were in the park and it was all oh, the, the people. crowds are hard to get yeah. and stuff yeah where, yeah yeah whereas like in a courtroom it's going to be hard to yeah cinematography you know, for a courtroom, you're a courtroom that's all it is yeah <laughs> yeah that is bizarre uh okay my number nine is one uh, cody and i've talked about before he uh, he did make a prediction to himself that i would put this in my top 10 list <laughs> but it is uh never rarely sometimes always it's one where I wasn't. It's kind of an uncomfortable movie, and the main character is not. She doesn't have much personality, but it was one of those. Also, you couldn't turn away, and I think it's an important film. It deals with a. Is she probably a high schooler trying to get an abortion at a time where she can't get it? Oh yeah, because she's a minor. That's very important because she can't get an abortion in Pennsylvania without her parents' permission. So her and her friend have to go to New York and. It's just so real. Nothing about this felt like, you know, movie exaggerations. It was just like, no, this is what it is actually like for thousands and thousands of women across the country. And I just think it's super important to put ourselves in her shoes and in the situation. And the fact that she wasn't necessarily this spunky Juno type personality or something, if anything, makes it even more grounded. This is just an ordinary girl with kind of nothing exceptional about her going through a thing that far too many people have to go through. So I think it's important. Uh, the title work in is amazing. And the mm-hmm. scene where you kind of get the the title worked in is just devastating and kind of uh, one of the highlight uh, scenes from any movie for me this year. Do you guys, Aaron, Aaron's nodding, so I'm guessing you saw it. Yeah, I saw it. I, I actually really did love it as well. It didn't have much dialogue, which I don't necessarily mind, but it did, without the dialogue, it still did such a good job building tension. You know what I mean? You felt so tense the entire movie, and you just wanted the main character to be okay, you know, just, you know. You wanted to help her, and you can't help her, yeah. 
Yeah, and I I love the way it was shot, and I think you know how they felt so tense and nervous, and yeah, I really it was very unique, and I really did enjoy it as well. Cody, did you? I mean, we talked about it. Did you see it? Yeah, yeah, I did see it. I feel like it, like kind of what you said, Rich. So many people go through this exact same thing. It could have been basically like a documentary. Yeah, of yeah. just following one person around and their experience of living in a in a state where they can't get the resources they need and having to go elsewhere, especially go elsewhere into a big city that you, I would be terrified of if I had no, at that age and going there, like, I mean, Aaron and I used to go to Kansas City and have no idea where we were going. So I couldn't imagine going somewhere like New York and having to like go through something so traumatic and also while dealing with all of that. Um, I had the longest time even figuring out when it was set because they have so little resources. At first, you kind of just assume that maybe this is set in the 80s or 90s, but then all of a sudden you see them on their smartphones and realize, oh no, this is contemporary. And I think I feel like that was intentional to kind of make it timeless. And of course, there's the theme throughout of them having to deal with creepy men on every level and, you know, entitled men. And just, you know, I thought it was it's an important movie that I'm going to bring back up again when you all bring up another movie, (laughs) because I think there's some parallels. uh, And this is the better version of that movie. We'll get to um, later. (laughs) Uh, Okay, never not. Yeah, so my number nine is the personal history of David Copperfield. Oh, I didn't see that one. Okay. Okay. I didn't see it either. Yeah, it was on my list. I just never got around to it. Yeah, so it's basically a film adaptation of Charles Dickens' novel. And this is apparently a really unpopular opinion. It has horrible Rotten Tomato score. (laughs) Um, Which is why I didn't watch it. (laughs) Yeah, and so it's certainly not... A faithful adaptation of the story, but it's a rather, you know, lovely and whimsical reimagining of a classical story. So I think to watch it, you need to kind of throw away all your expectations and just kind of get wrapped up in the whimsy of the film because it's very funny and charming. It's super fast paced. There's tons of wonderful characters that come in. It's almost like comical, physical humor throughout. And it is so fast paced, like towards the end of the story, you're almost like, painting you know what i mean you're like oh my (laughs) gosh you know but it's this it's super whimsical and it's kind of hard to get an adaptation like this that doesn't feel like pretentious or stuffy it was just really unique and so i really loved it i would recommend it um well i'm just looking at it around tomatoes it actually does have a 92 on the critic side and i and uh but it's it's a 53 audience and it's that kind of gets in the conversation and cody and i've had several times about rotten tomato splits like i almost feel like i want to do a phd dissertation on rotten tomato splits because you'll see them go <laughs> yes. both both ways, and I usually don't always enjoy ones with big splits. But I mean, again, never, rarely, sometimes, always is a ninety nine on the critic side and a forty six on on. Oh, really? Yes, on the audience side, and so your David Coffee showed at ninety two slash fifty two is or fifty three is similar. But yeah, I, that's a high enough of a critic score. I would be curious to watch it. Um, I have not read that uh, David Copperfield book, but I like the idea of putting Dev Patel in the lead role. So I would be curious to check that one out. Yeah, definitely recommend. Okay, so Cody's number eight. So my next like four movies are also ones that I just really enjoyed this year. That's what it's all about. Um, <laughs> but and I will say like Rotten Tomato scores kind of back me up on it. <laughs> so my number eight is uh, Happiest Season. Oh, is that is that the one oh, with yeah, uh, Kristen yeah. Kristen Stewart or whatever? Kristen Stewart, and then I saw it. I, I liked it. Yeah, and Dan, uh, Dan Levy from Schitt's yeah. Creek. So I thought it was it was just a fun movie, and I I had very low expectations going into it because I'd heard everyone talking about it. And when I have low expectations going into a movie, and it's actually good, 
then in my mind it's better than it is. Absolutely. Oh yeah. And then same and and the opposite is true. Like if I have super high expectations for a movie and it doesn't meet, I'm like, oh, this movie was terrible. Yeah. yeah. So happy season. Yeah, it's uh, basically a lesbian couple and they're going home to meet uh, for Christmas for one of the one of their uh, with their family and she has not told her family yet that she's a lesbian. And so it's that story of she's pretending just to be a friend. There's having to sleep in separate rooms and stuff. Um, and then kind of getting caught. And then a second character or a third, a third female comes in played by Kristen Stewart and kind of moves things around in there a little bit, but uh, not to give anything away, but it was really good. The only thing I didn't like, I had talked to a friend of mine about it and she said just how, they depicted a uh, same-sex relationship in the movie she wasn't a big fan of. And I kind of got it. I, It didn't bother me. You see the Hollywood version of it as opposed to the realistic version of it? Yes, yeah. So I got that. And the one who was not the family member, her just being okay with having to hide her true self from the other family. She was too okay with going back in the closet? Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So a lot, some people did have trouble with that. It didn't bother me, but... Um, I, I guess I thought that was kind of one of the, the drama or dramatic points was she wasn't super okay with it. My biggest issue with the movie, and again, I did enjoy it, but was I didn't want them to be together. They were, I didn't think they were a good couple. And then they bring in Aubrey Plaza, yeah, who I is think... by far the better, has better, she has better chemistry with. It's oh, like, it was, yeah. So... It wasn't even about the filmmaking or the performances. It was more just like, no, they shouldn't be together. She should be with this other girl. That you, why would you? Anyway, <laughs> I think Aaron agrees with me. Yeah, I agree. I, I yeah. liked no, it, I but yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, it was enjoyable. Uh, let's see. So we're on to mine number seven. I'm keeping track right. Okay. Uh, mine number seven is the, the father, the one I saw most recently in, in the theater. Which, Cody, did you ever get around to watching that? I know you talked about trying to catch it at the last minute. Yeah, I was going to go, and then I ended up... Something came up that night and I haven't gone. So Anthony Hopkins was just absolutely amazing. And I love Olivia Coleman more and more. Everything I see her in, I think she's just so versatile. And I'm almost legitimately confused how she didn't break onto the scene until the last couple of years. And it seems like she went from who's that to major player, Oscar winner. And, and she's just awesome and so different and everything. She plays his daughter. And it's just the best depiction of dementia I've ever seen on film. Not that I've seen a bunch but it reminded me of, you know how Memento basically gives you short-term memory loss, so you can't make, it messes with your head that way? The father does that, even though it's pretty much a straight-up drama based on a play, it manages to do the same thing where you're on his side. Like, when he's, you know, seeing things wrong or remembering things wrong because he has dementia, you're like, but he's right. And so you have those same feelings, too. And then the fact that the performances are just absolutely, you know, top-notch. Like, I almost want to give the Oscar to Anthony Hopkins over Chadwick Boseman. I kind of wish Chadwick Boseman was in supporting so that Anthony Hopkins can win an Oscar for this because he deserves it. And it, it's just really, really good, and I highly recommend it. But if you guys haven't seen it, not much else to say, I suppose. <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, It's on okay, the list. Yep. Cody's number seven. So my number seven is called Run oh, okay. with uh, Sarah I Paulson. I but didn't like it. But <laughs> Yeah. I liked it a lot. So it's... So I mean... You put Sarah Paulson in anything and I'll love it. I love American Horror Story. And it was similar like kind of filming and acting to that because I feel like she really only does one role and it's something like that. So she has a daughter and this story has been done before, which shockingly, it's not based on a true story. It's like a multitude of different ones. But so anyways, her daughter is sick of some sort and she thinks she has like some life illness thing 
for her entire life, but it turns out it's the mom, Sarah Paulson, making her sick so that she's dependent on Based her. on true stories of this kind of thing happening, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it surprised me that it was... I thought it was one, like, actual true story, but I guess it's, like, multiple that they kind of blended yeah. together from when I was looking it up later. Um, so then, like, the daughter kind of becomes aware of it and tries to basically escape because the daughter can't walk. She's in a wheelchair. So she tries to escape. The I believe, like, the mailman helps her out. Then Sarah Paulson finds out it, like, catches them and stuff, and it was... Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Um... I love Sarah Paulson, so I think that's why it's on my top ten. Oh, and, the, and the girl playing the daughter, I did think gave a great performance, and I, her performance is actually maybe my highlight of the film for me. Since I didn't really, I didn't really like the script. I just thought it was a weak script and maybe a weak story, uh, and I just didn't buy it. I mean, and I don't like okay. thrillers that are kind of that kind of cringy anyway. But the girl playing the daughter did great too, and that's what I'm pretty sure. Like I, like I'm 99 percent sure one of Sam Kasner's friends was the editor. Oh yeah, oh, really? he, he he went to he went to like middle school with some guys that are out in Hollywood and, and doing that kind of stuff. They're actually directing the sequel to some other movie, and I think one of them edited this movie. So I guess I don't want to bash it too bad in case Sam shares this with them. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the, the editing was great. I didn't like the script. <laughs> and Aaron, I guess you didn't see it. I have not. Seen okay, it, no. okay. And again, so Cody says you should see it. I say you're not missing much. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's a ninety percent. It's a ninety percent critic score. Oh, okay, fair. Then I, I just don't really like that type of movie, I guess. And uh, yeah, kind of like I didn't even have. I didn't. I don't even think I get out in my top ten when it came out. So I just kind of really like those kinds of movies, I guess. So my number six, actually, for my number six, it's my mom's number one. And Cody thought it'd be fun to have her record her number one and share it with the podcast. So let's go to that recording. Ow. Hi, I'm Carla Simmons. I'm Richie's mom. So, um, in 2019, I saw 42 movies in the theater because I'm retired now, and that's what I do. I go to the movies. In 2020, because of stupid COVID, I saw 10 movies in the theater. So I really had trouble coming up with some movies, so I waited till the Oscar nominations came out and looked at theirs and considered the ones I'd seen on that list, which wasn't all that many. But I do want to give a special shout out to the top movie on my list that I, of the 10 I saw in the theater. And that's a very sweet little rom-com called The Broken Hearts Gallery with Gwendolyn Vishwanathan, who's a wonderful actress. If you haven't seen her, she's from Australia, obviously of Indian descent, and she's wonderful. But I have to give my number one movie of the year to the Disney Pixar movie Onward, partly because... I spent most of my life as a high school teacher, so I love any stories about teenagers, especially really good stories about teenagers and their relationships. I am also the mother of sons, and I love the brother's relationship in here. It was just so moving and so real, and the whole story was, it made me laugh, it made me cry, which is huge criteria. It was always a good way to get an A in my class is to write a paper that made me laugh and made me cry. A movie that makes me laugh makes me cry. Same thing. I love it. I think... Voice actors get short shrift when it comes to credit because that's a really difficult thing to do. And Tom Holland, Chris Pratt, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and Octavia Spencer, who have the four biggest parts in this movie, are all amazing. The best of fantasy. It's got real-life relationships and just all around a movie that I will be watching over and over and over and over again throughout the next few years. Ow! <laughs> Okay, so that's what mom had to say. That's, that's, uh, that is my number six. Cody, I think you said you didn't get around to seeing it because you're not a fan of uh, Chris Pratt. Aaron, did you see Onward? 
<laughs> I did not. Okay. I like how that's why I, I like how Chris Pratt is why you say I didn't see it. I do hate Chris. Pr- I do hate Chris Pratt. He's a piece of shit. But yeah. <laughs> so it's one I actually didn't realize. So I, I had my whole top ten going, and then when the Oscar nominations came out, I was like, "Oh, Onward" was from 2020, so I hadn't put it on my tentative list at all. But I did love it. I mean, actually, I lost track if it's a Pixar. If Mom even said if it's a Pixar, there, but I did really, really dig it. I thought it was the plotting, like the formula of the script, is like the quintessential fantasy movie set in a fantasy world, but like the modern version. So it's like 2020, but in a world that has the ogres and the dragons and all these things. And they basically, what we see of as fantasy is their ancient history or their past. And now it's the modern world with all these same kinds of characters. And then the whole plot follows these brothers trying to have one more day with their father. There's basically a spell that when they're trying to cast to basically have one more day with their father and just becomes this whole kind of heartwarming journey, but also just so clever. Again, I, I agree with my mom. You kind of tear up at the end, just how everything just kind of comes together perfectly. So I watched it. I have Disney. I do have Disney Plus, but I watched it on my iPad because that's the only device I have Disney Plus on currently for reasons. And so even though I just watched it on my iPad, uh, it's my number six movie of the year, and I really got a kick out of it. And I was even kind of confused because they say Soul is like, I think, the favorite to win the Oscar. But I, I thought Onward was just a much better movie. But again, neither of you have seen it. So, so we can, well, uh, I was going to ask: Have either have either of you seen Soul? No. No. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I thought Onward was okay. far superior. I like Soul, but Soul Soul's yeah. fine. Soul Soul's good. I liked it, but like I, I I thought Onward was just way better, way better. Soul was almost just kind of like another version of Inside Out, which is I mean, it's even the same director. So it's like, okay, yep, we've we've been here. Um, it's it's good though, but. Not one of my favorites of the year. I guess I don't watch that many animated movies, so I don't really have a whole lot to treat, like to look back and, look, and compare it to. <laughs> okay, fair, fair. I try to watch the Pixar ones because they are usually yeah. just really good. Okay, Cody's number six? Yeah, so my number six, I'm going to guess neither of you have it on your top ten. It's uh, King of Staten Island. I never got around to watching it. I know you recommended it, but it was like two and a half hours, and the reviews were good, but not like... A stellar, so I just I just didn't get around to it. I do want to see it though, because isn't it Judd Apatow? Yeah, so he directed it, and it's got Pete Davidson in it, and Marissa Tomei, and Bill Burr. So it's basically Pete Davidson's life, like growing up. Um, like oh, okay. dad was a firefighter. Dad died died fighting a fire in New York. So it just kind of follows Pete Davidson around and how kind of he's uh like he has an older sister who has her life together, and he's still living at home with Marissa Tomei. And it was just, it was way, it was another one of those movies I had very low expectations going into. I wasn't even going to watch it my, myself, but Jenny and Colton wanted to watch it. It's from friends of mine. So I watched it and it just far exceeded any of my expectations. And Marissa Tomei is awesome to look at and to see act. Both things are true. And <laughs> I, I do need to get around to watching it. I, I do want to watch it. I think it just, it just seems like a, for a comedy to, be, to almost be two and a half hours, I think just kind of was a... Honestly, if it was forty-five minutes shorter, I would have watched it already. And oh, yeah, that's thing. fair. Obviously, I don't, I don't mind long movies. It's just when I'm prioritizing things, I, I just didn't get around to prioritizing. I feel like with, I feel like it's a typical Judd Apatow movie where yeah, it's a comedy, but there's some deep, serious stuff in it. And I think that's no, what no. I like, other than just being like a typical comedy where they just try to make you laugh the entire time. Whereas like a lot of the Judd Apatow movies, like there's actually plot and storylines in there that get pretty deep. And this one got really deep dealing with his dad dying and his mom starting the date again. And the fact that his mom dates another firefighter after her husband had died as a firefighter. And No, and I think I maybe said on uh, with Logan on History and Film talking about the best 
dramas have comedy and the best comedies have drama. Yeah. And and honestly, that's probably one of my problems with Run. It, it, there's no moments of levity. I feel, like, but whereas get you know, whereas Get Out is way stronger because it has so much humor in it. It makes it a better horror. And then Run is basically just always nonstop serious. Um, yeah. But no, I definitely want to check out King of Staten Island. Uh, let's see, Aaron Six, I believe. Yeah. So I had Judas and the Black Messiah. I actually, yeah. Okay. Did not put it up there, but I did like it. Yeah, so it tells the story basically of the portrayal of Fred Hampton, who is the chairman of the Black Panther Party at the hands of an FBI informant, uh, Bill O'Neill. And so basically O'Neill infiltrates the Black Panther Party. And at first he's basically kind of indifferent to the cause and he's kind of happy with the perks provided and the money provided with being an informant but then you kind of see him throughout the film become more and more conflicted as he becomes you know committed to the party and the people involved and he feels kind of more just like a pawn you know in the fbi's chess game and so it's it's really and the reason i ranked it so high is because both main characters it's just wonderful acting i mean just both were super great and so I also kind of, they did a really good job with the filmmaking, again, really building tension throughout the film, which I really liked. And I also kind of liked the jazz music. I mean, there were just so many, everything was really good. Every single aspect of the movie, I really enjoyed. So, um, no, yeah. it is it is really good. Like, I'm actually like sitting here, you say all that, I'm like agreeing with everything. I'm like, why do I not have it in my top 10? Like, it's, I just, I just no, I just thought the exact same thing. <laughs> no, it's really good. Yeah, yeah. Lakeith Stanfield and uh, Daniel Kaluuya are amazing. What's funny too is I always forget. So, is it me or is Daniel Kaluuya just like he's just put on like twenty, thirty pounds of muscle since Get Out to the point that I don't recognize him in anything anymore. Yes. Yeah. So, because yes. what he was done something else, maybe that was the Best Picture nominee or really good last year, and it's just like I'm like, who's that guy? I recognize that guy, and I just keep forgetting it's him. He's just he's just kind of bulked up, but no, he's great. Uh, Lakeith Stanfield is great. The filmmaking's great. It's uh, I really don't have anything anything negative to say about. It. I think I was a little confused about so because obviously the film is definitely on Fred, Ham- Fred Hampton's side, and obviously the FBI just straight up assassinated him, and it's a travesty, and it took twelve years for them to get any kind of justice. I think there was a basically a payout from the government eventually for a wrongful death suit twelve years after his his again assassination at the hands of the FBI, which is just horrible. But did I miss something, or w- was he actively promoting violence though at the same time? In my mind, I thought, yes, he wanted the revolution, but he's basically like, no, we're going to have to like shoot our way to equality. And I'm like, well, I don't agree with that side of things. So it seemed a little too glorifying the violence he was promoting, unless I'm missing something. Yeah, and I think that was a critique I saw a lot about the film is it didn't really focus that much on Fred Hampton. I really thought it was going to be a biopic about him, honestly, going in. And so it's, I think... Hopefully, maybe it encourages you to kind of do your own research about because I mean, you don't learn about the Black Panther Party in high school. I (laughs) mean, Cody and I talked about this. You know, it's something that is not talked about, and if it is, it's probably really misconstrued. You know what the Black Panther Party you know stood for, and you know the positive sides of it. And so, yeah, I did kind of agree, but you know, another critique I saw is both of the actors are way older. Than the actual characters they play. Oh, really? Because they're not old. They're the young guys, but the guys are even younger? Yes. So, yeah, because Hampton was only 21. Oh, years my old gosh. When he was killed by the FBI, which makes it so much more tragic. Yeah, that's crazy. That. And I think that's kind of maybe why it wasn't a biopic because, <laughs> I don't know, 21, you're right. just beginning your adult life. 
And then O'Neill was actually only 17 what? when he first was approached by the FBI, which again, you that's why you see how he's so indifferent. You could see kind of how he's so impressionable. <sighs> yeah, he's 17 years old. He doesn't want to spend 11 years in jail. He's barely been alive 11 years. You know what I mean? So, oh, like, wow. Yeah. And so I think both of the acting, I mean, it was incredible. You know, I don't want to knock that, but I do think it kind of maybe took away from the actual story. No, you're right. I think I think that completely changes even the way I'm thinking about. It. Like I don't want to even, you know, maybe excuse some of his overly radical rhetoric, although also then holy cow, what a speaker Fred Hampton was at, at just tw- 21 years old and then also the naivety is is, is more excusable if, when he's a teenager. That's no, you're right. But at the same time, I wouldn't have wanted to replace those actors cuz they're so good. So I kind of right. get doing that too. Oh wow, okay, that's crazy. But yeah, to your point too, they talk about you know they show the the uh, the feeding the kids programs that the Black Black Panthers had, and then I did listen to, on the podcast they talked about the whole getting basically the the white supremacist groups to march with him. Fred Hampton actually did that. He went to like these you know Confederate you know groups you know with their flags and not liking black people, and he convinced them to be on the same side for their cause kind of against uh you know police corruption and stuff like that and it actually worked you know 30 40 years ago and i'm like that or 50 years ago i'm like that's that's crazy and it really happened so yeah very good choice good choice cody and i messed up (laughs) (laughs) okay so my number five is where i have minari just uh again, again it sounds like you both uh liked it as well and had it high up here too i just thought it was just sad and sweet and beautiful it's probably there's almost not even much more to say about it it was just so real and everything was kind of earned as far as the relationships between all the family members and you see where each of them are coming from and you know they're trying to see after this big move from what california to arkansas as a korean immigrant family can they make a go of it and the dad wants to start a farm and the mom's like this is not the quality of life that I want or what we had or what you've promised me in the past. And I love you, but at the same time, this might be too big of a strain on our relationship and bringing in her mother. And it's just, it's just a family drama, but just so beautifully done. And I mean, there's not really much more to say about it. What'd you guys, what are your thoughts? Um, I was just thinking back, like my favorite scene. And cause I think about that with movies a lot. And I think mine was when the tornado happened and like they lost power because it's something they've never experienced before in like either in Korea or in California. And I'm like, especially for the three of us, it's old hat. We go sit on the front porch and watch, watch it. But they're all like (laughs) sitting there freaking out. And I'm like, Oh, I totally get how that, especially even up here. Like we had a tornado a couple of years back and I was at a store and like people are freaking, I'm like, guys, it's just a tornado. It's probably not going to be that bad. It's in Michigan too. Like, um, so like just seeing how they reacted to it, I thought that was really cool. And they did, they played it very well. Like the kids being scared, dad trying to be the tough guy and go outside and like save some part of something they had. And so I thought that I really liked that part of it. Yeah. Uh, and the grandma was an mm-hmm. amazing character. Yes. yes. <laughs> She's hilarious. I loved the grandma. She was definitely my, she was definitely my favorite part of the film. And I loved especially the relationship between David, the little boy and his grandma yes. and how they kind of grow to love and understand each other. It was super sweet. And, yeah, I kind of liked it was, yeah, a very beautiful story, like you said, but it wasn't like overly, you know, like it wasn't melodramatic. It wasn't sappy, right, right. Yeah, and overly sentimental right. or anything like that. It was just a very intimate look at a family and their struggles, yeah, I feel like and I really liked that. The movie just kept it very real, and I, and they, they did a good yes. job of yes. portraying yes. that. Yeah, 
Right. And almost like even like the little details, like they're basically chick gender checkers and sorters. And it just seems like, well, that's so made that that can't be real. So like it just it almost adds to the realism when it's something that seems so odd and specific like that. And yeah, just how how I guess we don't want to spoil things necessarily. But yeah, just, you know, the struggles they go through. And then also, I love the the title work in I always love when a title again so it's almost like a cliche that you kind of have the title worked into the movie but this was a way where it's more like oh it's just like the plant mm-hmm. that the grandma and it isn't like it's not even a plot point it's more of just like a a detail and they just chose to call it the movie after this little sweet little detail and they're struggling over here but then look how easily this stuff grows along the riverbank and i don't even know exactly what it is like they're eating it but i don't really know mm-hmm. uh, what minari is other than it grows really well <laughs> Yeah, like I said, it's just about the relationships, and it's just kind of like hard not to kind of smile and cry a little bit, and just kind of like it's almost like a meditative movie. You could just have Minari on and just feel at peace. <laughs> yes, yeah. So yeah, hi- highly recommended by all three of us. It sounds like, mm-hmm. which that'll be interesting to kind of look at too. It's like when Logan and I did our top ten of the decade, we ch- kind of figured out which is our consensus overall. It's kind of what, you know, adds up to the highest. And uh, so far, it might be Minari. I was going to say, is that, yeah, that's our only one where all three of us have it in the top 10, right? So far? Yeah, so so thus far, Minari is our consensus pick uh, through, mm. through, through, our, through half our list here, I guess. Okay, so Cody's number four. Uh, my number four is One Night in Miami. Okay, which is my number eight, and I think Aaron's honorable mention. So yeah, that's another, another uh, good one for us all. But yeah, let's talk about it. Okay. So it's, you're going to have to help me. It's Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, and Sammy Davis. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, Sam Cook, Sam sorry. Sam sorry. Cook. Yeah. And, Ma- and Malcolm X, yeah. Yes. Um, so it's basically a night after one of uh, Ali's fights. He wasn't uh, Ali at the time, though, right? He was still Cassius Clay. Ca- yeah, still Cassius yep. Clay. Yep. And so it's basically them kind of, you know, the, t- the whole black civil rights thing. Um, so it's them kind of yeah. deciding how they want to go about it and they have differing opinions on it. And I just thought, one, I thought the acting was very, very good in the entire thing. I loved that it was Regina King that directed it and it was her first one. And I thought it was yeah. such a, like, that, what a solid first, uh, directorial, like, debut. Oh, for real. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it was really good. And I like the idea that it was more based on reality than you would think like it sounds like those four guys actually did hang out that night after uh or Cassius clay got his was that the basically his first ever world title yeah. title he had just uh just got mm-hmm. the world title and they're hanging out after and and Ma, or in uh they think they're just gonna go hang out and party but malcolm x is like no we're just gonna talk and <laughs> everyone else wants to party but then it becomes this kind of drama and it's, it you definitely can feel it's based on a play but also not in a way that's bad. I know Cody, you've had ones before, like fences. fences or something, where you're like, it almost feels it feels awkwardly based yeah. on a play. This feels like mm-hmm. it works, almost like a Richard Linklater kind of thing. I think it worked better in this for me because they moved around more. Whereas like fences, it's basically just set in like one or two different places, like a, like a a play would be. Right. Whereas this, I feel like they went around more. They you know they were at the arena for the fight. They were at the hotel. They were at the they went to go get food and alcohol. Like they moved around more, and I think that's probably why, as a play, a movie that was a play, that I why I enjoyed it more than I do other ones. Yeah, it felt less stagey. I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure both of you saw the Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I think that mm-hmm. was the issue with that yes, film yes, this year. Yes, is it is like you know the characters talk and talk about their feelings and the 
you know, camera pains back yeah. and forth, you know, and so it didn't feel like a movie. Yeah. Yeah. For this, exactly what Cody said, I think moving around did a really good job of kind of breaking up because I think it's actually a one act play. I think I looked that up. So I can uh, see that. even yeah, more yeah. commendable that they did a good job, you know, translating it to it a full movement. feature. Yeah. 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 And giving the movement. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. That's a good call. Um, and they do kind of introduce them all separately. I like that where they kind of introduce each of the four and then get them together. And also, too, I just I think it's just important. You know, you hear about all these you know historical figures and their role in the civil rights movement, and it's easy to forget that they're you know fully fleshed out human beings with you know, and they always even they're on the same side. They're going to have fights and you know shades of you know nuance to all these issues, and and just just a good look behind the scenes that you, you forget about. I mean, it's a big deal for Cassius Clay to become Muslim and go by Muhammad Ali, and then I always think of when people you know, post 9-11, where, you know, there's this huge anti-Muslim sentiment in the United States. And I'm just thinking, yeah, Muhammad Ali and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar are Muslims. You don't have a problem with them. Like, it's not about the faith. And I, I don't know, I just, I just think that's kind of interesting and just, you know, how the how the bodyguards or whatever, the security guys were kind of fanboying over the people inside and uh, Jim Brown becoming an actor and how that was all playing out at the same time. And that really happened. He quit his NFL career early to become an actor. Like, it's just a fascinating glimpse into one night in Miami. <laughs> yes. Well, real quick, what you said, going back to how they introduced each character separately, I thought it was really powerful when Jim Brown went to that house at the beginning and was talking to the guy and he was just on the front porch. Oh my gosh. He offered yes. to go inside to help move something. And he's like, you know that we don't yeah. allow blank in the house. And I was like, Oh, so he's like right. idolizing this guy. Cause he's a really good football player in this, in the state of Ohio. But yet he won't let him inside of his house. Well, probably where he's from, though, was it from Georgia, North Carolina, or somewhere? But oh, because he uh, was down back, yeah, he was back in the down. south. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, right. And this, yeah, you think about how I don't know when people talk about what racism is, and then you see something like that where someone who, like, no, they are a huge Jim Brown fan and supporter would do anything for him. Oh, and stuff except let a yeah. black guy in the house because it's just these you know things that are carried over and you know. You, uh, it, it was yeah, it was very a very cringy moment, but again, I'm sure something that was far too based on reality, or maybe even exactly based on reality. Um, I'm trying to think of those guys. Is Brown the only one that's still alive? I don't know about Sam Cook, but Jim Brown might be the only one still alive, right? Yeah, I think Sam Cook actually died shortly after. Honestly, I think he died relatively long. I think or young. Sorry. Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah, so like most of yeah, he was yeah, he was died. 33. Well, they, he died in six, 1964. Oh, wow. Because in the film, Malcolm X is even talking about almost like prophesizing his early yeah. death, mm-hmm. which is interesting, too. Yeah, that's crazy. And yeah, I'd, I'd be very curious to hear Jim Brown talk about this movie. Because yeah, he's uh, looks like he's yeah 85 years old. And I'd, I'd be very curious to hear his thoughts on it. And But I don't know how his health is or anything if anybody's tried to interview him for it. But yeah, very good movie. Sounds like we all highly recommend it. Okay, let's see. We are on to... I'm losing track here. Aaron's number five? Oh, number four. Or are number we on four? Yeah. We're on fours. Four. Okay, yeah. My number four is another round. Ah, okay. So, okay. I liked, I liked it. I liked it. Yeah, so, yeah, real quick. It uh, kind of starts at a 40th birthday party, and it's a group of four kind of middle-aged high school teachers that propose this experiment based on this, like, psychiatrist theory that 
argues that humans perform better with like a certain level of alcohol at their systems at all times. It's like 0.05 or like it's, it's relatively low. Like it's below the legal limit. Yeah. 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 Just like a buzz basically. Yeah. And so they like tell themselves they're doing science, like the science experiment. And they even try to write a paper and it kind of just, you know, so they start drinking before class and, you know, it's have like this steady buzz kind of throughout the day and throughout every situation, even in their home lives and stuff as well. But it kind of follows one character, Martin, who's kind of in a bit of a midlife crisis. You know, he's kind of an uninspired teacher and a detached father and husband. But I just thought it was a really interesting portrayal of alcohol and alcoholism and just like a very unique, honest way. It wasn't really, again, it wasn't melodramatic. It showed both sides. Like, the pleasure of alcohol and it's also its destructive qualities and it yeah it wasn't fully a drama it wasn't fully a, you know a comedy it was a it was a really unique film i really liked it um and, and i did i did see it and cody did you ever get around to seeing it no i own the movie but i haven't watched it yet right because uh, yeah cody and i were kind of splitting the cost on some things and so it was cheaper to buy this one than it was for us to rent it separately or whatever so we ended up buying it so he hadn't watched gotcha. it yet but uh I, I did enjoy it as well. I've actually, I was telling Cody, I've seen, uh, this is, it's Thomas Vinterberg, Vinterberg, who also, I mean, even this is, this movie's up for best international feature. He got a best directing nomination for it, which I thought felt like it was kind of an upset with uh, for a movie to get a best directing nomination and not a best picture nomination. And I, I've seen other of Vinter, uh, Vinterberg's, Vinterberg, I'm saying this all wrong. Uh, I've seen <laughs> other of his films and I kind of did like some of those other ones better. It is very good, but yeah, kind of to your point where at first you're like, oh, I think maybe they're actually onto something. Like, are they right? And then you kind of see it becomes this slippery slope of, okay, yeah, this is dumb. <laughs> they make they need to stop, and they kind of come to those right. realizations, and it, yeah, this it's kind of a wake up call in a good way that then just collapses in on itself. And no, it, it is kind of very well handled. It's almost kind of awkward though at times where you're like, oh my gosh, like you know, please don't do this, please don't do this. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and it has one of the most charming endings ever. Like the last, I don't know, three to five minutes. Oh, of that movie yes, are just yes. pure joy, just pure joy. I mean, I love. I mean, yeah, left on such a yeah. note. Oh, it, it's, again, I guess it would be akin to maybe the uh, Slumdog Millionaire uh, <laughs> closing. Yes, uh, where it's just yes. kind of like, yeah, Cody can figure it out. He'll never watch it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I will. Yes, I will. <laughs> Uh, oh yeah, that was good. Yeah, the one I saw, uh, it's from like 20 years ago. He's been directing for a while, but it's called The Celebration. And it's pretty, I remember the dark parts of it. It probably does a little bit of both where it's, uh, I'm sure it has some moments of levity as well, but it's like a family reunion and you slowly start to, start to realize some of the family's dark past as they're just kind of at a reunion and they're thinking, remembering things that are bringing back up things that happened, you know, when the, when the adult kids were kid kids. And it was really good. It actually looks like the same guy did uh, The Hunt from a couple years ago, where uh, also starring Mads Mikkelsen. Did you see that one, Aaron? Yes, yes. Yeah, I okay. Like that as um, well. Yeah. We'll have to have another podcast without Cody sometimes so we can talk about all the things he doesn't watch. <laughs> 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 that one was messed up. I mean, just because that, that kind of thing can't totally happen. They talk about, you know, kids give unreliable testimony and we'll just kind of like go along with whatever an interviewer is saying because they think that's what they're supposed to do. But. That's neither here nor there in 2020. And let's see. We are on to my number three. So my number three was Palm Springs. And this, for me, it's hard not to, Well, I'm a huge Groundhog Day fan. And I do get mad when people will talk about, oh, it's just a 
I don't think anyone's necessarily said rip off, but it's just like, oh, it's already been done before. It makes it less original. It's like, oh, well, you can say that about anything. Like, oh, I've seen a romantic comedy, so I can't watch another romantic comedy ever again. Or I've seen a war movie where they have to go and meet this objective. Like, no, it's not about that. Yeah, so yes, he's using a similar story device with repeating timelines, but I don't even think Groundhog Day necessarily invented that. So it's a completely different story. The story is a story. So this is one I watched kind of as, you know, right in the middle of summer, and everyone's kind of going stir crazy with quarantine. It was kind of the first big movie of 2020 that, you know, uh, became available to watch streaming. And, and I was starting to put it together or start thinking about my 2020 top of list. And this was kind of one of the first ones I saw. So this movie was actually kind of my number one spot for several months. And I just enjoyed it so much and did think it was an interesting spin on the Groundhog Day type premise and just was one of those movies I was just probably literally grinning the entire time. So I haven't seen Groundhog Day, but in my mind, I kept comparing. Yeah, I kept comparing. I'm working on it. Okay. How do, how do we disconnect him, Aaron? What does kick you out? I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I have the. I'm pretty sure I got the DVD from you. I think it's yeah. Also, that entire box of DVDs is still in my trunk. Well, don't let it be there when it's, the weather gets hot and cold and going back oh, and forth. Put it inside okay, at least. Okay, I'll move it inside. You know, you're gonna have to buy me 50 DVDs to replace them. <laughs> Anyways, in my mind, I, I kept comparing it to uh, Fifty First Dates. Okay, which I've seen parts of, but not actually all of. But it's the same kind of thing, because it's just from yes. her point yes. of view. So she thinks it's being repeated, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, so only a thousand Probably. times better than that terrible movie. Okay. So yeah, I, and I like Andy Samberg a lot. I think he's hilarious in Brooklyn 911. So I, yeah, it was a great movie. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, Richie, I, like, I thought it was kind of a unique take on that time loop genre and it was kind of refreshing because the whole plot wasn't what's going on how do we figure out this world i think it worked for someone else to join someone in the time loop yes so yeah and i will just say this this film really renewed my faith in rom-coms which i (laughs) usually hate so much they're usually like so cheesy and predictable but this was funny cute kind of serious at times too you know like you know, actually touched on serious oh, issues, sure. but I loved it. I thought it was just wonderful. And it was, re- like you said, really set a perfect time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a perfect 2020 movie. Yeah. And the, mm-hmm. it could just even like the casual vulgarity of it is not too much, but it also just kind of adds to the humor and just, yeah, so clever. You think how the J.K. Simmons character works in and then you can get into the whole yeah. theories of the old lady at the wedding. It's like she seems to be actually maybe being looped as well and mm-hmm. just kind of okay with it and you know so you got all these kind of you know little fan theories you can come up with and you start thinking about what would you do in this situation it, it's just a great conversation starter as far as all those things go and yeah and i, I actually i need to re-watch it like i i'm almost talking myself into like oh man maybe i should have had it had it stay at number one mm-hmm. but i also had watched some of these other things after and there's a little bit of recency bias sometimes when uh whatever you saw most recently it, it's uh if it was good it definitely kind of overshadows maybe stuff you saw before it that you also liked again like i mentioned with charles chicago seven that i don't even really remember it <laughs> but if i watched it yeah. last i might have it at number five so no yeah palm springs is is awesome so okay so we're, we're coming down to the end here so actually now we're okay so we're on to uh my number two so are we down to just uh fewer than six movies because we have some kind of some overlap here okay so my number two which i think you you guys have both already mentioned now uh uncle frank so where did you all have it? I have Uncle Frank at number two. It's my third. 
Cody three and Aaron, did you mention Uncle Frank also? Number number seven. So yeah. So another another one for all three of us here, high on the consensus. So and this is one like honestly, I was going back and forth putting this at number one, and uh, it was kind of a it was almost a coin toss for me here. This is the one, and I again so. We're going to be this movie's advocate, apparently, because all three of us <laughs> put this movie in our top 10 list, and it is not anywhere on any radar for... I haven't seen any critic mention this movie. A, a Doug Benson on, on Douglas Movies mentioned it. Not, not only no Oscar nominations, but even like on Gold Derby that goes down to like, here's the top 75 movies that maybe might possibly someday potentially get nominated for an Oscar. Not even on there. And it's Alan Ball written and directed, the guy who did, um, well, American Beauty that may be a little problematic nowadays, but like Six Feet Under <laughs> and True, uh, True Blood and some other things that are kind of skipping my mind. So the, the script is great. Great directing. It's a... Uh, heartfelt and sincere and it is, I don't, again it's like kind of like we're talking about on minari nothing feels forced or cheesy and why don't here why don't, why don't uh aaron why don't you give the premise uh for us real quick and we'll kind of go from there yeah yeah so basically it's the relationship between a niece and an uncle and so the niece moves to new york city kind of finds out that her uncle frank is a closeted gay man and so basically the main plot of the story follows them going back home after uh, Frank's father's death. And you kind of learn that Frank and his father have a very tough relationship and that he is closeted with his to his whole family. Only, I think, one sister knows that he is uh, gay. And so basically it's them driving and then they end up actually uh, being joined by his longtime partner too. And the chemistry between all three characters, honestly, is very cute and charming. It's very, I mean, I love, I love all three characters, how they interact with each other. And it's not really like a groundbreaking movie. You know what I mean? It's not like totally new, but it's just so well done. And it's just a wonderful movie. Yeah. Right. And I'm sure the, and also the, so the being closet is important because it's also the time period. Is, is it set in the seventies? I think, is that sound right? I, yes. I, exactly I should when. have said that. Yeah. It was set in the 1970s. Yeah. Which is obviously very important. Also, he is from the South, which is also. Right. Right. Important. So he's, yeah. yeah. So he's a closeted gay man. Well, sorry. He's out in New York, I think, but yeah. he's uh, closeted back to, to his 1970s Southern family. Uh, Right. And yeah, we start to learn about some of the past with, you know, why the relationship with his father is so bad and what his father might know about his relationship. And then also the whole specter of his first crush, I guess we'll call it. But no, I just think, yeah, like I said, the characters are just so real and it, and it has that, the, the chemistry, that's the, that's the best thing to talk about is it just feels like I love his boyfriend. Like he is... Like he, he's yes, yeah, yeah. I'm a Middle Eastern guy who's you know then he has, has has the added element. I forget Southern United States in the 1970s. He would literally be killed if he goes back home and was out openly gay. Right. And well, not that you couldn't be in the South at that time, but I mean, like it would be almost like authorized killing in the in the Middle East at the time. And yeah, and the daughter just kind of also feels because she's more intellectually driven and wants to get out of the the kind of the rural south where maybe they're not as interested in books and movies and just kind of you know culture things so she wants to go and was always kind of fascinated by this uncle who was fascinating to her because he was educated in all these things and giving her books to read and, and giving her this intellectual stimulation that she wasn't getting from anyone else in the family so she felt this you know kindredness with him and then the reason i had it so high and just and I'll kind of talk around it because it's not necessarily a spoiler, but I still will talk around it. You'll, you guys will both know what I'm talking about. But it has one 
probably the most devastating moment for me in any movie of this year to the point that like I was like hours or maybe even a couple of days after the movie, I would just think of this scene and almost just start tearing up again. And Aaron, it's not on your head. Cody's not on your head. We know you know exactly what I'm talking about. When she basically she basically calls him on advice he had given her when she was a kid and i'm gonna start crying right now because she's just like that changed my life and it's just like calling him on his crap because he's not basically living to the standards that he had imparted to her that literally changed her life and set her on this course to you know go to new york and you know go out of her comfort zone and become this whole different person who she wanted to be following his lead and then he's not maybe living up to those same standards when he's remaining closeted to the family back down south so Again, I'm getting like worked up right now just because uh, this movie is so good, and we are so so confused as to why it has no awards attention anywhere. I, I, I it's like we're in like a the Twilight Zone kind of thing. This movie is so good, and everyone needs to see it. So I want to give my spiel on it. Okay, I guess for like me personally, I have more of a personal attachment to the whole story, just obviously. And so, like, there were times where the daughter, or sorry, the niece was like. You just said something about, like, she is mad at him for not, you know, coming out to his family and stuff. And to me, I'm like, no, I totally get it. Like, on his side, like, that's that's how you grew up. And you grew up your entire life being told that gay, being gay was bad. Like, it's tough to do that. So I just, to me, I think the reason I enjoyed, enjoyed the movie so much um, is I did feel like a personal attachment to it. Granted, yeah, my family and friends and stuff are not as bad as that. But it still is, it's a very hard process to do. And I feel like it's not something you can force on someone. They just do it when they're ready. And that's another thing with Wally. Like, yeah, I loved Wally. He's hilarious. But how he kept pushing um, him, to, pushing Frank to come out to his family, it made me a little uncomfortable because I'm like, that's not Wally's decision to make. It's not Wally's. Wally can't push that on him. This is for Frank, and it's only it's only Frank's decision. And I feel like it shouldn't. It, it just, Wally annoyed me a little bit trying to push that on him. And I get Wally's side of it, but I'm also like, no, Frank, if he wants to do this, he can do it. In the 70s, maybe it never happens with your family. Right, and, that, and that's probably fair. Maybe it's, maybe it's too easy to put the 2020 lens on it and that it's a bigger ask, obviously, you know, in the 70s than it is today. And I think, though, the niece... The way it kind of comes up in the movie, though, I do feel like it was earned where she's calling him on this inconsistency because it's, it's not like he's not out. He is living yeah. his life... He is just, he is ex- comfortable who he is. And it's almost, he has this hang up about home, which is why he never visits. It's almost like he's just triggered by his family. And so if he's ever going to go down there, it's, he just can't be the same person he is openly in New York. Cause it's not like he's in the closet in New York. So I think it's, she's kind of just calling him out on that logical inconsistency when he's giving her similar advice. So, yeah. But I also, but yeah, I see what you're saying. But I also think of like my own experience. I'm like, all my friends and stuff knew before I told my family because it's way easier for that, way easier to do it that way than to... Right, yeah. which is the same as Frank here, right? Yeah. No, that's fair. Uh, yeah, and then of course you get into the alcohol side of things and, you know, and in, in, uh, what's his, what's Frank's boyfriend's name? Wally. Wally? Wally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, Wally just kind of, you know, not being okay with the alcohol stuff that... That was, apparently yeah, yeah, that was yeah. a tough scene in the hotel. Yeah. Uh, yes. But again, I, again, I think it's. You know, you, I guess you could argue it borders on melodramatic, but I, I thought it was all earned because the performances and the writing were all so good that I think were moments where it could have become too heavy handed. I don't. I think it. I think it stayed on the on the, on the good side. And yeah. I mean, and, and again, I guess the re, the reviews match. I mean, it's, it's so it is a little. Lower. It's actually of all my movies it's in the top lower. ten, it's actually my lowest on the critics side on Rotten Tomatoes. It is just yeah. a 
uh, 77 on the critic side, but it is an 85 on the audience side. So it's not like it has poor reviews, but uh, and it's a 7.3 on IMDb. So like it's it's legit. And uh, if 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 anybody knows what we're missing, let us let us know. Like it, this movie is great. <laughs> this movie is great. And I just I th- almost feel like it's got to be one we champion the most because I feel like a lot of this other stuff is a little more. Even something like First Cow, it's like I've seen that on critics' top ten lists and stuff, but not Uncle Frank. No one. It's just, it's just, it's just us. We gotta start the Uncle Frank cult. <laughs> okay, Cody, you're number two. Uh, my number two is Nomadland. Okay, which I has an honorable mention, unless it's an Aaron's number one. I guess we can talk about it now. <laughs> yep. Nope. Not on my number one. Okay. Yeah, Cody, go Nomadland. I did. I did enjoy it. So. I'm really bad at giving the synopsis of movies, so I'll go with it. But I'll go. So it's Francis <laughs> this was McDormand. definitely hard to synopsisize. This is yeah. oh, very hard. <laughs> yeah. So she basically lives a no bad life and kind of travels all over. She has her van, and it made me want to go buy a Ram <laughs> Pro Master and build out my van. But just kind of her life and as a nomad and how she meets people during her journeys and her travels and how there's a whole community of them. And, you know, they kind of travel together and, but then there's like basically kind of a class you can take on how to become a nomad. And that's real. Like I looked it up afterwards and the Santa Claus looking guy, he's actually the one who does these like YouTube classes and stuff. And I thought it was, I thought it was very well shot. Like the scene of uh, Francis McDormand, like laying in the water, I just thought was beautiful. Um, and I just, I really enjoyed the whole movie and it's one of those movies. So my top two this year are I had very high expectations for them going into it and they met them. So I think that's probably why they're my top two because I already have, I always, it's hard to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or like the fact that it actually beat, beat or met my expectations made me like the movie even more. And I could see being there with Nomad Land if I hadn't already seen the writer, uh, her previous film that I actually think is better. Is, is it Chloe? I don't know how to say her last name is Zhao, like Chloe Zhao. Hmm. I'm actually, even though I don't have it in my top 10, I am completely rooting for her in the best director race. She is the favorite, and I would actually probably even vote for her. I really respect what she, I think she has kind of a unique way of making films where she uses non-professional actors and incorporates them into a narrative. I would just argue she did it better with the writer. And I almost had issues with, and again, maybe this is, maybe I'm seeing things, or maybe I just kind of over overthink some uh, how movies are made kind of things. but. I feel like there were scenes where she was filming the people, the real people, to incorporate into her narrative, and then filmed Frances McDormand at a different time. And so she's making her look like you're having a conversation. And I'm like, I don't think Frances is even there on set right now. I think you combine this later. And whether it's right or not, they didn't actually ever have the two shot of them together. And it was just enough to kind of take me out of it that I was just kind of too aware of maybe what was going on with the filmmaking. And I say that as someone who still thinks she should win Best Director. And there's definitely times where Francis is obviously with everybody else. But yeah, her use of non-professional actors is absolutely genius because it just makes it more realistic than any movie can possibly be because these are real people actually doing these things, working in the Amazon warehouses, you know, living in this town that goes goes under. And it's not overly dramatic and it is just kind of this real world. So yeah, I, I, I dig it too, but I think the writer is better. And so I didn't necessarily see anything here that I hadn't seen before, I thought. Yeah, I definitely didn't dislike the film. I especially thought it was beautifully shot. I mean, it was just so... The whole film, honestly, every scene was perfect. But I think kind of on your complaint with some of the real life people in the film, some of those scenes just felt empty because, yeah, it was like... 
they said there are three lines and then it's like a shot of fern being like half smile and then it's like in scene and i was just like you know right so i kind of struggled with that a little bit and then i think another complaint i had is so there's only really two real like actors like the characters of fern and dave right and they both yeah right and they and there's really no conflict in this film but they had two issues happen to them so fern's van broke down but you know then her sister just gives her money and then Dave got really sick and he just moved, you know, in with his rich, well-off son. <laughs> and so it like those could have been conflicts in the film, you know, to kind of build the conflict in the film because it kind of did seem very wandery. Right. But they were both so quickly and like neatly resolved that it was just like, oh, you know, so <laughs> I don't know. I did like it. I did like it. The acting was good. I thought it was beautiful. But yeah, I just thought, yeah. No, right. I think there's, yeah, there there. I don't know. There, there could be more. I, I, I look forward to what else she continues doing. I, I think again, I'm just super impressed with what she does. But yes, I think there's a better version of this movie. And well, one, well, it's already called the writer, and two, she might do something better in the future. After listening to you guys talk about it, I'm, I would still keep it at my number two. But I hadn't really thought of stuff like any of that. <laughs> I think I was just enamored with the fact that she just gets to live in her van, which is like when I retire, <laughs> no, when I re- like my, my life goal has always been when I retire, I'm just going to get an RV and travel the country. And so you're I just, think you're just jealous. You're just like seeing a preview. Yeah, of the prob- life that's probably live. what it was. I was like, I wish I was Francis McDermott right now. I don't think that's supposed to be the takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I know. Yeah, but... okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, so she, she just had herself. So she was very lonely. Hopefully I'll have like a husband and a dog or, Two dogs at the time, and I'll I'll have some company along the road. Gets gets a little crowded pretty quickly there. I'll make it work. Uh, my one last note, not not to make it about the the writer, but in that one specifically, even the lead character is a non professional actor. So I just thought that was she basically made it a version of his life, basically you know just kind of like using this guy's actual story, but then changed it. It's not. It's not a. It's not an, even a biopic about this. You know, guy no one's ever heard of. He's just just an ordinary guy in South Dakota. But she uses him and like is one of those things. I didn't know it was non professional actors until I'm like his brother and his sister. Like I don't wait. Is this all real? Like it was almost like you just kind of like have this realization because there's no way these are real actors. But not in a way because they not weren't good at acting. In a way that was just like no one can act like this. Like this can only be real people. And it was, and you can you can kind of see that in Nomadland too, where it's just like it's not that they're bad actors; it's just like because they're doing so little, you're like, I think this is just real people, <laughs> and it is. So anyway, it is it is a good show. Okay, so that was Cody's number two, Aaron's number two. Mine is Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I have it once, but higher. Okay, okay, perfect. <laughs> I I was hoping we didn't even have the same number one. Okay. So that was Aaron's two, which is my number one. Oh, which means I guess we will talk about it now. Yay. <laughs> so this is one that, and again, because we were in, in kind of our text messages leading us, this is one we were kind of debating when it should count. So this is one, it was on my list. It is, it is on paper. You look at IMDb, it says 2019. And it is on paper, a 2019 release. I think, was it even up for best foreign film last year at the Oscars? Or it didn't get no. nominated, did it? France did not nominate it. So yeah. so bizarre, and we'll get into that too. <laughs> yes. um, but it wasn't one that I just didn't get around to. It's different than we talk about, say, 
last or sorry king of staten island where i just didn't i didn't get around to it but obviously i had, I had ample opportunity to do so it was literally impossible for us to have watched a portrait of a lady on fire before the oscars last year it just wasn't available and if you look at imdb even though it says in parentheses 2019 it then says u.s release february 2020 so i feel very comfortable calling this a 2020 movie it does also have the advantage probably that i rewatched it so i rewatched it as soon as it came available like last april and then I rewatched it just a couple weeks ago. It was the one I was kind of going, I was like, it's going to be Uncle Frank or Portrait of a Lady on Fire as my number one. And I rewatched Portrait of a Lady on Fire. And I was just like, this just kind of has everything. You talk about the cinematography and the beautiful filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. It's one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen visually. Yes. And uh, Cody, have you? I'm guessing you have not seen this one, have you? No, I haven't. Okay. Do you know anything about it, or is this going to be Aaron? I, I know nothing. So you're, yeah, you're t- <laughs> yeah, it's just you guys. Okay. So yeah, it's it's set in the 1700s, I believe, and the premise is that this artist is called in to. Are they on an island, Aaron? Is it just more just just kind of like isolated place? I should just take a I boat think it's to an get island. There. Okay, because she takes a yeah, boat to I get there. Yeah, I think it's an island off France. Yeah. Yeah, and she's been hired to paint a portrait of a young woman. That will basically be what they send to her prospective fiance. Basically, this is just, actually, it's kind of just a really elaborate tinder, isn't it? <laughs> like she has to come and paint the painting <laughs> that they'll send to the guy to see if he sends a like back. But uh, <laughs> that's how they had to do things in the 18th century. But the woman, the the woman in question, doesn't want to get married, and the mom who's hired the artist doesn't want to let her daughter know that this woman is even an artist and that she's been told that hey you want to take these walks and it's also kind of dangerous with the coast nearby and i mean there's also the whole idea that her, it's, yeah. it's not even a spoiler because it's, it's pretty obvious from the beginning that her sister had actually recently committed suicide by jumping off these cliffs so they want to make sure that she has a chaperone when she goes out and walks because the mom doesn't want to lose two daughters to suicide which is especially possible because the whole reason this girl got recalled from a nunnery is because her sister was supposed to marry this dude, and now she has to marry the dude in her sister's place because, again, 18th century. And then it's just about the relationship between the woman who's supposed to get married and the woman who's supposed to draw her painting, uh, her portrait or whatever, and it's just their relationship. And, I mean, I guess, again, is it a further spoiler to kind of talk about that it becomes more of like a Brokeback Mountain situation where they just kind of... I don't think that's a spoiler. Yeah, okay. I mean, that's kind of the, that's kind of the premise. But but it's just so beautifully done. And again, I think it's way better than, say, like a Brokeback Mountain where it almost didn't feel like the relationship was even earned. It was just kind of like raw sexuality with like they don't even know each other yet versus this is like they actually slowly get to know each other and you kind of feel like maybe this is why she doesn't want to get married to a dude because she's an 18th century lesbian. and But they really couldn't put a name to that. Yeah, like you said, yeah, the movie really didn't rush the romantic elements. of So it just... The love between the two characters just felt so real and honest. You know, I think that's what really, really stood out. And the chemistry between the two actors was incredible. I mean, every single look they gave each other was like so magnetizing. (laughs) And it was so interesting, too, because the movie really didn't have much music. It had it in very few spots. And so really, what sold it, you know, throughout the film was it was beautiful, like you said. Like I, it's probably one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen. I feel like you could pause it at any time and then just like have that as a a painting. painting. Yeah. 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 And yeah, I just, you know, it's, it is a story of a forbidden love, which we've seen again, but I just thought it was a very, 
you know, real and honest look at, at love. Right. Well, yeah, it might be one of, the, I mean, it might be the best, for, yeah, the best forbidden love movies uh, I've ever seen. And then, like I said, the, the looks as they're kind of basically sizing each other up as to for how they feel about this. And we, in it's, you know, this ultimate will they, won't they kind of thing that you get from a lot of movies. But it's just so subtle given the setting of the 18th century. You don't really know necessarily that's where this movie is going. And then the, you start to realize like, oh, wait, are like, are they into each other? And the looks just become more and more charged. Like you're energized, like you said. Yeah. And it's just like, never has seeing two people look at each other felt so exciting. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know if we're doing a good job of selling it. Like, uh, Cody, do you want to watch it yet? <laughs> yes, I will watch it. <laughs> yeah, and I will say say too. I mean, I, I I'm not going to spoil the end at all, but the last ten minutes and specifically like the last three to five minutes is the most moving part of a film I have ever seen. I think I cried for like twenty minutes after the film. Yeah, it's that kind of movie. Yeah, it really sticks. Like I was just holding my heart. It really stuck with me. It was so well done. Yeah. I loved it. Right. And how everything's set up. Like, so, yes, the, I mean, the moment you're talking about, well, I mean, it's not a spoiler to say it's at the opera and just how you just see her, you know, just and it's just that one shot where it's like, and she earns it, too. So they talk about, you know, actors' ability to cry on cue. I mean, you, you, you know, kind of a movie-making thing where they cheat is when they cut away and they cut back and they actually have drops they put in. But they stay on her face for just, like, minutes and minutes at a time. It's actually similar to the end of Call Me By Your Name where it kind of shows them yes. just kind of thinking there. And it's just, just kind of the shot in her face. And like, it's like, we've probably been watching her for a full minute, minute and a half before finally you see a tear start to fall down her cheeks. And you just know that the actress you know, had to do that all just internally. And she's just getting worked up about this stuff that was set up, you know, previously. And no, just a, you know, one of the best romantic movies ever frankly and one of the most beautifully shot movies ever and the direction is amazing and it has a it's a female director who i don't i'm not familiar with her other stuff yet because you know it's the french thing and i mean i've seen other movies but i haven't looked at this director too closely but it's really really good and i i did put it in number one and i i think justifiably so it was why i remember regretting it that i didn't watch it in time or wasn't available in time to have on my list last year but yeah it's it's great <laughs> yes okay so cody's number one yes is promising young woman so richie has it nowhere because he hated the movie i didn't <laughs> like it i didn't like it again yeah, the better oh, really? the better version okay. of this yeah. movie is never really sometimes always uh but you know i don't, I don't want to we don't have i don't want to undercut your appreciation of the movie i do see the appeal i also i don't I, I don't know. I, I don't draw the parallel between the just two. Just from a, a, I think from a female em empowerment and dealing with crappy men, I just think it's, uh, yeah. Okay, that okay, that I can get, I guess. Okay, I can, ar I will, I'll argue against that later if you want to give the kind of background <laughs> of the story. Okay. Cody. Yeah, so uh, Promising Young Woman, it's a story of this lady who she was in medical school and her best friend was raped slash sexually assaulted and then ended up her friend ended up killing herself so basically what this lady does is she goes out to bars she's act like she acts like she's super drunk um and then goes home with a guy and then at some point in the night she like snaps and when i saw like the trailer i thought she killed these guys and i was like hell yeah i'm ready for this but basically she doesn't she doesn't kill them she just 
says to him, hey, you're a piece of shit. Don't bring drunk women home and try and have sex with them when they're incoherent and can't consent. So that's kind of the first part of the movie. And then she meets a guy and kind of stops doing that. Um, the guy is played by Bo Burnham, which was just awesome. Because, Aaron, I'm sure you remember, Sam inter- Sam Kasner introduced us to Bo Burnham and would listen to his like audio comedy set all the time. So meets him has kind of the relationship thing and then finds out because they went to the same med school together. Yeah. And I guess, I guess you should say we're, this one's kind of, we, we kind of can't talk about this movie without spoiling it. And I think every other movie we've been able to talk, talk around, but this one, there's almost nothing to talk about if we don't spoil it. So we will probably say, if you haven't seen promising young woman, maybe check back with this little, little yeah, yeah, pause. Yeah. Pause now and go watch it. So then she goes, so she realizes that one of the guys that Bo Burnham was friends with is the guy that committed like the main assault on her friend. So she finds out he's getting married. She goes to his bachelor party and basically she goes to, she didn't go to kill the main guy. She went to just like write her friend's name on his stomach. Um, Not with a Sharpie, like carve it permanently. <laughs> yeah. Carve with like a, yeah, with like a scalpel. And then played by Schmidt from New Girl, which was awesome to see. Or he he was the buddy. He was the he was the buddy, not the main, not the make. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah. The one that came at the end. Anyway, so then she ends up dying from this guy that had committed the assault on her friend. I guess I probably left some stuff out there because, like I said, I'm terrible, terrible at summarizing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I really, I really liked it, and I think. I saw a lot of people kind of have an issue because it wasn't really like a true revenge thriller. It kind of like you like totally shifted once, you know, she met this new guy and it seemed like, you know, she was moving on, right, right, moving on with her life. So I really thought it was like more of a story about this woman, the like emotional and toll that that pursuit of revenge can have on someone. Oh, like almost like a cautionary tale. Yeah, this movie is really just about this like grief-stricken woman who's just trying to alleviate like the guilt that she feels about the situation by shaming others. You know what I mean? That's really mm. what it is. And I think cuz I will say the main character Cassie, I don't even think you're not really re- you know what I mean? She isn't like a positive character, I want to say, like but once she starts to like move on with her life, you just want her to heal. Right. You just want her to move on. And I, yeah. I, Cody didn't mention this, but there is a scene where she meets with her friend's mom, Nina, mm. which I don't think it's talked about enough because it really shows you like with Nina, her mom has seen, Nina's mom has seemed to move on. And it shows like that, that can happen. Something tragic in your life can happen and you can move on. But it's just a path that Cassie is just unwilling for whatever reason to take. And so I thought that was mainly what the movie was about for me. And I also think in it, like you see Cassie, like you had said, starting to move on and you're like happy for her. But then when shit hits the fan and she decides to do what she did at the end, I kind of was like, oh, no, like I really I was rooting for this girl to be able to move past this and move on with that relationship. And then just something hits and she realizes it. So she realizes that Bo Burnham was at the party and that her friend got assaulted at. And I was like, oh, and that was just like a heart sinking moment. I was like, oh, she's finally ready to move on. And then this happens. Yeah. Right. Continuing back on the path of self-destruction, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was really hard to see. But I think another thing we haven't mentioned is the like candy coated 
like aspect of this film like the scenes were all bright and cheery like she always had these like wonderfully bright sweaters and you know outfits that were just in such contrast to like how grim obviously you know the stuff in the story was but in like the pop music and I just thought it was like a like an amazing contrast between you know the grim reality of her life and like the cheerful facade so i really love that as well so the pop music the i think my favorite scene is when she parks her car ditches the license plate and she's getting ready to walk up to the cabin Mm -hmm. and you start hearing toxic by britney spears played in like classical music like on violins and i was like this is just amazing because i i like I love Britney and being and hearing it on the classical like the violins and stuff as she's walking up and you know what she's gonna do mm-hmm. and I, that that was just amazing to hear that yeah yeah and I also loved I know you mentioned a few people how they casted all these really well known men like comedic actors yeah because it like like McLovin yes it did like a wonderful job kind of reinforcing the theme that you know these dangerous men don't come with like a warning sign, you know, like a lot of the people, they're for, just your average guys. Yeah. A lot of these, you know, for a lot of women, a lot of this unfortunate, you know, it's unfortunate, but a lot of it happens with, you know, people we like and trust, you know, seemingly. So I thought that was a brilliant yeah. casting trick as well. No. And, and I, and I don't want to like just come in here and undercut everything. I think it's important more to focus on how much you guys like this movie. That's really high on your list. I think just some of those things you're talking about, I don't even necessarily disagree with. I just think some of that, those uh, things that are kind of juxtaposed against each other, that's actually what didn't work for me. And I thought like it was totally inconsistent and I couldn't figure out what message it was trying to send. And I just, some of the things just didn't work or like, why was Bo all of a sudden the guy to change everything when he was, she wasn't really that interested and all of a sudden, all of a sudden he's the guy and she's going to move on. Like that makes no sense. Like why would she not have done that three years earlier with a different guy? Like, no, cause she just falls in love with them. You can't pick uh, well, okay, but I did, like, but I, but I didn't mind. I didn't see why he stood out with, and again, I love Bo too, but I didn't see how, why he stood out to her in any kind of remarkable way. And then the idea that I feel like she didn't have a personality outside of her pain, which again, I think maybe you guys kind of saw that as, as a plus or maybe what kind of worked into it or as, as a tragic tale kind of thing. Whereas I was just found her maybe less interesting because, because of that or there wasn't enough there there. But again, I don't, I mean, that's, it's just why I wasn't on my list. I, I, I can see the appeal. I do okay. get the appeal. It just didn't work for me. Yeah. And I, I kind of agree because I, I can kind of see some of the points, but I think what I liked most about this movie is like everyone has a different like take That's or true. perspective yeah. it's very thought provoking because i don't think the themes are like so clear you know right. what i mean i think you can have so many different yeah interpretations of the film so i actually kind of liked that there it's it, right it, of all the movies of 2020 this might be the one that is the most conversation starting like as far as yeah it opens the most doors to all kinds of issues and yeah i'll i'll, I'll definitely give it that any other final thoughts? Just a real quick Laverne Cox uh, appreciation, just because I love her. Yeah, oh, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, always good. Wonderful. Okay, so all we have left is Aaron's number one, I think. Yes, so my number one is actually Sound of Metal. Oh, nice, yeah. yeah. My number four, yeah, yeah. Where did Cody have it? Okay. Did you have it, Cody? Uh, I did not, and I'll just real quick say, I should have rewatched the movie. I watched it with my dad and my brother, and I haven't watched a movie with him in years, and I realized that... It's impossible to watch a movie with my brother because he talks during the entire. So you weren't movie. able to get emotionally invested. And like so, it was, yeah, it was, okay. it was, re- yeah, it was really hard for me to get into it. I did enjoy the movie. I probably need to give it a rewatch. Yeah, yeah. So just for some, I'll give some background. So basically, 
It's about Ruben, who's a punk metal drummer, and he basically experiences sudden hearing loss. So he goes to the doctor and the doctor says, sorry, it's only going to get worse and you're not going to get your hearing back. And so his girlfriend slash bandmate, Lou, checks him into a basically a sober home for the deaf. And it really focuses, the whole story focuses on Ruben's struggle to try to find, you know, tranquility and acceptance in his new life, but also desperately trying to get his old life back. And I think for a movie about like such a groundbreaking loss or a traumatic event. It's so grounded. It's never melodramatic. You know, it avoids very obvious tropes throughout the movie. And it really is just a very intimate, moving story that I would argue is more about like addiction and acceptance, self-acceptance than honestly the disability itself. But I, I loved it. And sorry, one more thing. Sorry. The sound design is phenomenal. It's the most unique um, I've ever seen in a film, it kind of shifts between a normal sound and then kind of the muted, dis- distorted quality of Ruben's perspective. And it's like blended in such a beautiful way and is used to really elevate some scenes in the story. And it's just, it's very well done. Yeah, I, to that point, I would be surprised if it doesn't bring home some sound Oscars, if it, even if it kind of doesn't win some of these other things. But yeah, it's spectacular release of sound. I was waiting to see which one of you brought up the sound first because uh. I knew because I already I already knew it was a big thing with Richie and I knew it would be with you because it is incredible how they did yeah. that. No, I just it, it sounds so simple. It's like wait, there hasn't been a movie before about a rock drummer losing his hearing and like and it's just done so well. Like it's such a simple concept mm-hmm. that is just so devastating as you watch him go through this and then the relationship with his his girlfriend and they kind of realize that. They were so important to each other's lives, but you know, to what extent do they have a role in each other's lives going forward? And that's handled so beautifully, and mm-hmm. it's just, just so, so well made. And it doesn't sound like something that, it, honestly, I got. I was surprised when I got a Best Picture nomination. Like I really liked it, but I didn't think it would have that crossover appeal to that other people would see it as just so powerful. So I'm very glad to hear you had it at at number one because I, I, I think it's great. Yeah, and without giving anything, any spoilers away, the ending, too, is so powerful. Again, another one of those endings that really stuck with me after the film, and I kept thinking about that yeah, scene, because yeah. it is so, so well done. And again, just the use of sound. Yes. Yeah, it's, that's one, man, I was, we talk about the, you know, maybe we kind of come full circle here, talking about going to the theaters. I would love to see this in a theater on a THX kind of situation. I think maybe we did lose something at home unless you have a a spectacular surround sound system or whatever. But I think the use of sound or obviously lack thereof because he's, you know, dealing with deafness is probably probably the best I've ever seen. I guess or heard. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And another note, the acting in it by Riz Ahmed is amazing, especially if you think of a performance where you really don't say anything, but he did such a good job, you know, portraying his confusion and anger and grief just with his facial expression. So I wanted to give that a shout out as well. And actually, I'm not sure on this one, maybe you looked into it a little more than I did, but were some of the people at the deaf home, were those non-professional actors too? Yes. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of interesting to see two Best Picture nominees with uh, such a significant use of non-professional actors. And the guy who plays this kind of mentor figure or kind of in charge of this home, was he one of the non-professional or is he like a semi-non-professional? I feel like maybe he's acted before, but not much. What do you know about him? Yeah, 
I don't know. I, I I'm not sure because he got because he got a best supporting actor nomination and he did and yes. he's just some guy. I think. <laughs> yeah, I think he did okay, a good he, job. He's got he yeah. had, he does have some credits. So he, okay, so just clicking. I'm not, I'm not on IMDb. I'm just on Wikipedia. But like he's only been in like a grand total of eight movies going back thirty years. So he has acted, but uh, he's been over a stage guy. But I think he's also partially deaf maybe himself maybe that was the real part or whatever so he is an actor i guess but not a guy who's worked a ton on screen anyway but yeah he's great it's it's just so subtle and it's kind of a theme maybe throughout well except for promising young woman uh which is the opposite of subtle uh a lot of the stuff on here is is on all our lists is uh kind of these subtle character films and maybe that's kind of fitting for 2020 as we're all kind of going through our own existential crisis to, <laughs> to see to see these people on screen dealing with all the various things that they're dealing with in, in life or, or something escapist like palm springs and so what would be our kind of consensus kind of looking at here so uh definitely kind of sound of metal minari palm springs one night in miami did i miss anything that were kind of like our i think frank Uncle Frank is probably our... Okay. Oh, that would be our... Would that be yeah. our... Yeah. So, actually then, let me go through real quick and just do our full top 10, especially since I edited out a bunch of the stuff where we were saying picks ahead of the person who had it higher. So, Cody's number 10, The Prom, then number 9, Minari, 8, Happiest Season, 7, Run, 6, The King of Staten Island, 5, Palm Springs, 4, One Night in Miami, 3, Uncle Frank... Two Nomad Land, and Cody's favorite movie of the year was Promising Young Woman. Um, my number ten was First Cow, followed by Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Number eight, One Night in Miami. Number seven, The Father. Six, Onward. Five, Minari. Four, Sound of Metal. Three, Palm Springs. Two, Uncle Frank. And then I went with Portrait of a Lady on Fire for my top movie of the year. And Aaron had at number 10, The Trial of the Chicago 7, 9, Personal History of David Copperfield, 8, Minari, 7, Uncle Frank, 6, Judas and the Black Messiah, 5, Palm Springs, 4, Another Round, 3, Promising Young Woman, 2, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and number 1 for Aaron, Sound of Metal. And if you go through... And score that like a track meet where you give 10 points to a number one pick and one point to a number 10 pick and everything else in between there. And then you add them all up. Uncle Frank does just edge out Palm Springs as our consensus overall pick for the year. And we'll call it good with that. So thank you so much for joining me for this. Yeah, this was fun. Uh, This is my third year. I'm glad that we brought Aaron in this year that was fun yeah thanks for having me I I, this was fun too because it forced me to quickly watch these movies yeah yeah kind of meandered (laughs) or like oh I'll watch it you know when I get to it but this really forced me to be like nope I want to watch all of them before the Oscars so I think I will be more interested in watching the Oscars because it's like yeah I've seen you know basically all but one best picture nominee so yeah thanks for having me absolutely so yeah thanks again and thanks everybody for listening and we'll catch you later